Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, where I have the incredible, unique, and amazing opportunity to visit with people that are making a difference in some way, some shape for people all over the place. In this episode, I'm telling you right now, you are in for a treat if you love animals, if you love photography, and or if you love great people. This person is a new friend to me. It's someone that I met literally just a few weeks ago as I was with my family and we were vacationing and we were happened to be up in Aspen <clears throat> and we were walking around the town and I was stunned. And I mean, stopped in my tracks with some pictures that I saw in this store. Turns out the store was a gallery and I walked into the gallery and I was amazed by the photographs that I saw and the things that I was experiencing, the feeling it gave me to walk into the store. And as we walked in, I started talking to the person who was in the shop. And as it turns out, the person that was there was the actual artist, the photographer. And her name, my guest today, is Guadalupe. We're going to call her Guad because that's what she loves, Lice. So Guadalupe Lice, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jim. It's my pleasure. Super excited to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for your kind uh, words and intro. Absolutely. I will share this with you. Um, I've been into to several galleries. I'm not an art collector, and I don't know a lot about the topic, but there was, I love animals, and I'm sure most people love animals, and the size and scope of the images that you do, there's something to it, but what really got me, what really took me over the edge for our time together was when you were talking with us, and I could feel your connection to what you do, your purpose and your passion, and then you said, hey, do you guys have a few more minutes? Like, yeah, come downstairs. I want to show you the, I felt like you were taking us into the secret vault of the good <laughs> stuff. And that just really moved me. And, and so, you know, I just, I had to see what I could do to get you on to, to share your mission and your passion and your story about what you do. So I first want to know, um, you're, you're from Argentina, correct? Originally? That's right. Born and raised in Argentina. Yes. And, and so did you know back then as, as a, a young person that you wanted to go into photography or did that change? Because I think it, from reading your bio and the stuff I was looking at, you were in Argentina until your teens or something and then, and then moved away. Did, tell us how you kind of got into the photography scene. Sure. I mean, it, it was, I guess it was a very organic process. It took a bit, but it, it just happened naturally. I've been very much an introvert uh, most of my life. I became more of an introvert when I was a teenager in um, a happy accident. Uh, there was a camera around, a film camera, a very old Canon in my house that my dad brought to the house uh, after a trip. And um, I took it and started to take some photos. I was super young, um, young, like 10, 12, something like that. Um, and I really liked it. I like to be able to hide behind the camera and be able to observe everything and just have fun that way. So I started taking photos of my brother playing in his band. He had a band, music band growing up and, and that kind of thing. And being always out, of, out in nature, roaming around and taking photos. And it wasn't nothing special, uh, I have to tell you. So that's something <laughs> that uh, is, is interesting for, for people to, to understand and know. It's not I don't call it a gift. I think that's something that you develop over time, uh, working very, very hard. Um, so I started taking photos and I felt like I was creating something that it was mine. Um, and, uh, and that was very exciting for me. So it, it was a very slow process developing my own film. I started taking 
classes around, you know, my where I could find a, a photography school just to learn how to develop my own film and that kind of thing when I was super young. And uh, I got hooked. And then over time, life, you know, takes you different directions. Uh, I went to school for something else uh, to begin with, for translation, English and Spanish, very, very different things. Uh, obviously, I, I stick with photography it was always in the, in the in basically in the behind the scenes of everything that I was doing from like finishing high school and going to school and, and that kind of thing. But I never stopped taking photos. And um, um, obviously the, you feel the pressure from your parents and more, more than my parents' society to uh, do something with your life. And <laughs> photography didn't sound like the kind of thing that it was gonna help you to um, develop a career and be successful, but um, somehow I, I was lucky enough to stick with it. And, um, and long story short, when, once I moved to the US and when um, study photography formally here in the States, that was sort of my excuse. And I'm really jumping a, a bunch of steps. Um, but to answer your question, um, once I found a way to get myself through school here in the States uh, and get a degree in photography, that was my excuse to say, I cannot fail. I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen. And um, after everything, all the crazy things that I done, um, working a million jo jobs at the same time when I, <laughs> when I was trying to get my degree and all these things that I done, I, I was lucky enough to feel it inside of me in my gut that there was something there to, to explore and develop. And that's kind of what I did. Uh, yeah. That is amazing. I got to ask, when you were in high school, you said that you stayed in your hobby at the time of taking yeah. pictures. Were you on the school like for the yearbook or the newspaper? Were you doing anything with the school that you were with or it was just all your own thing? It was all my own thing. Um, the, the classes that I was taking were outside of um, high school. So that was just a, a little school that was... Uh, there was, it was a very small school that I just decided to, to do it as, you know, as a hobby per se. Uh, but I really, really enjoyed the classes and it was, it, it was fascinating for me. Uh, the history of photography, just everything that I was learning was, was very, very interesting. And, um, and just slowly, I just kept doing it on the side. It was something, on, you know, something that I was always doing on the side, nothing related to high school. Um, and yeah, so I guess I started building a, a little portfolio when I was um, very, very young without knowing that that's what I was doing, educating the eye. Yeah. Did your parents and your peer group understand your passion and connection with the art of being an artist? Or did they try to encourage you or dissuade you? And did that have any impact on how you went about your process? Funny enough, neither. They were not excited. They were not, they didn't even think about it after, I think really truly when I started to have some success selling my own work, which it was a very long process. Uh, I think they were just all looking at me kind of like, just not saying much and being like, okay, I don't know where she's going with this, but she's, you know, she's now she's in school for photography and now she's talking about going into the fashion world with it. And, but they were, they were, I think they were scared for me, <laughs> to be true. I'm not, it's not something they will tell me, but uh, I think that's, that's the reality. I think they were scared because they, they didn't know if I was, 
most people wouldn't trust that you will be able to have a career in photography and be successful. It's a very tough industry, just like any industry, I think. But, um, but then I caught them by surprise. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, your work now catches nobody by surprise unless you've never seen it before. That is so dramatic. You'd mentioned a couple of moments ago, Guad, that you were originally going for fashion photography. Is that right? Yes. Explain my, that. Yeah, my obsession was to, of course, I always love nature and I grew up around nature. So I, I always been very... Uh, um, uh, active and being outdoors, uh, that's, that's been my, my, my religion. <laughs> but uh, uh, the idea was, so my formal education when I came to the US was in fashion and the idea was, uh, I decided, well, if I'm gonna figure out a way to make a living, uh, I think the commercial work makes sense. And I always liked the creative side of um, fashion photography, um, obsessed with it, the, the lighting and being able to create something, you know, that starts uh, here in your in your mind, and then take it uh, take it from the idea to to make it happen. It was it was fun for me. I love going to school here in the U.S. and it literally was one of the highlights of my life. Wow. I enjoy every minute of it. I was much older than all the kids that were in class with me, so for me, it was a very different experience, and I really tried to take advantage of it. Like I didn't take it for granted. For me, it was. It was a big deal because uh, it was it was a big effort for me to be able to pull it off and, and get myself to school um, here in the States. And um, my whole portfolio was a fashion portfolio to go to an agency or show my work um, in places and, and, and take it from there. Uh, I was lucky enough that once you have your portfolio, when you graduate from school, I had no contacts. Uh, so then you're like, OK, how, what am I going to do this now? I went to, long story short, I went to France to visit my brother. My, my brother lives in Paris. And um, obviously, always with my camera, just obsessed with taking photos. And everywhere I will go, I will be taking uh, photographs. So I started doing this series that I actually have it on my website right now. Very old work of cityscapes. So I, I will saw that. take my tripod and I will go to different cities. I will just have a backpack with me and travel all over Europe and, and do, this is right when I graduated from school and I was trying to figure out how, how to go about uh, work. <laughs> so I took a little, little break. It wasn't that long, but I started doing these photos and um, there's a company in Paris that uh, pay attention to the work that I was doing and, uh, and decided to start selling them. So this is all overlayer images of cities, um, in very well known, um, spots in, in Europe, like the Coliseum and the Eiffel Tower and all these places that people can recognize very easily. Uh, and they started selling these images. And that for me was huge because that opened a very little door of hope for me to say, okay, if they're paying attention and they're liking this and they're selling them, my royalties are very low. I was making very little money uh, with that gig, but it opened a door for me to, for hope really. Yes. <laughs> to, to say, okay, if they're doing this uh, and they're paying attention to my work, I think there might, there might be a way for me to sell my own work. And long story short, when I finished this little tour that I uh, created for myself all over Europe, traveling from with a backpack from city to city to city, um, I went to Iceland. 
Um, just for six days. Did you go for a vacation, for a respite after being in all the city? You just needed a break? Or how, how did Iceland, of all the places in the world, come up? You know, all through music. I know I'm going to confuse you now because my number one music my, in my life always has been music. Uh, and a friend of mine was recording music in Iceland. Um, uh, Damien Rice, he's an Irish musician. And I went because I was very curious why he's so uh, fucked with Iceland and he's Irish. And uh, I went to Iceland for six days, completely fell in love. The first second that I saw a horse in Iceland, which is, uh, you know, it was, it, it was new for me. I was just going for the land and to see the country and the people. And I fell, uh, I fell in love instantaneously. It, it, and, I, and I decided right in there, there's something here for me. Wow. Um, yeah, but it truly, that's kind of how, how, how it went. And that's why I say it was a very organic process with a lot of effort, but very, very uh, sort of, it, I kind of let myself um, be guided by some, you know, higher um, intelligence or something. Yes, yeah. you were inspired. And, and, you know, when we talked a little bit about that when I first met you, I was so amazed because there's so many people who get tied up and bound up when the path is not given to them, right? But I think so many of us would be really blessed beyond measure if we would do the best that we can right now and then let the next natural inspired action or step show itself to us, at which point it takes us where we, we want to go. And, you know, I can relate so much in that when I was first in practice as a chiropractor, I thought I, the last thing I'd do on this planet would be give an adjustment and my purpose would be done and I would die at 90 years old taking care of patients. And now I don't do anything. I still keep my license. I still adjust people. But now it's, it's for the passion of healthcare. Not, it's not what I do every day, but I kept myself open to what was my next best step. And I hear so much of that story in you, Guad, that it was you being open and receptive to where life wanted you to go for your best life. Do you ever feel that as you're going on the journey? A hundred million percent. <laughs> I, uh, I am, and because I lived it, I, I, I don't think anybody could speak about that if they don't actually have experienced it. And that's just my humble opinion about it because, uh, uh, you, you really had to, to, to leave it and, and, and in order to believe that it's possible. And, but you need to be able to be open and trust, like you said. But I truly think uh, for me personally, if I wouldn't have gone through all those experiences and, and ev ev all the steps that it took me to get to where I am right now, um, the trusting, the process of being able to trust when you are very, very scared and you feel like, you know, I, I'm walking a path that is not there and I don't see it. And honestly, I don't know where this is going to take me. It's, uh, it's very scary, right? But um, once you see the light on the other side, you learn uh, that it's so worth it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, I'm yeah. sure that people, there's a lot of people listening to this who maybe are afraid to chase their dream or not sure if they should, or I'm too old or I don't have enough talent. What was it, Guad, that sustained you when you were following that path, essentially into the fog, right? You were taking one step at a time, following your dream, especially if your parents and those around you weren't pushing you on or spurning you, which made you say, I'll show you. 
you were just like doing your thing. Did you have a support system or how did you go about that? What were your tools so that others in that position may be able to kind of take your lead on that? Uh, I know it's going to sound strange, but uh, my guiding light was truly trying to ask God in the universe to guide me. It doesn't have to be a religion thing. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a religious person. I believe in the power of uh, um, the, the higher power, but it's not about that. Um, in my case, I didn't have any mentors. I, I think mentors are super important. That, that wasn't my case. I just very quietly was uh, observing, listening, but not letting uh, the people that were sort of telling me their own opinions about things, which every single person that you talk to have a different one, right? <laughs> Depending where they're at in their life and what they have experienced. And I would just take it in and let it go and continue to sort of follow that intuition that I had, which it was, this is not it. This can't just be it because I obviously struggle quite a bit in order to, to be able to build this. Uh, it wasn't overnight. It took uh, a lot, a lot of effort. And that's all the work that a lot of people maybe that get stuck in, in the process at the beginning, maybe the process are not willing to, to, to do. Um, but I always, in the back of my mind, I thought this can't just be it. Uh, there's got to be something more than this. And I had that feeling in my gut that there's got to be something on the other side that I'm not being able to see. And when people will, sometimes people, you know, people can be discouraging. They maybe don't mean it, but even teachers at school can maybe say, you know, something negative, you know, be, you know it's a very tough industry, be careful. You, it's hard to make it, all these things. And of course, people that are not in the industry thinking about making a career, selling your own fo photos or whatever the case might be, how you want to go about, you know, being a photographer um, or anything. I, I personally think it's just anything that you choose to do. Um, but um, a lot of hard work and just having a little bit of trust, uh, a lot of trust uh, that there's got to be something on the other side. I know it sounds poetic, but it's very, I don't, I don't mean to be abstract in my, <laughs> or just, um, I think it's, it's, it's real. I agree. Uh, once, yeah, yeah. I found that for myself, the same thing, that I had some people along the way that really pushed and acted like wind in my sails. Other people saying that, you know, you're, you're probably not smart enough to go down the path that you're doing. And at the end of the day, it had to just be that, that vision and that journey for myself to take it and see what happened. And you know, I guess I don't want to focus a lot on the business side of this podcast at the moment. Maybe it takes us there eventually. But was there a thing, a break loose point for you when you went from saying, you know, I'm getting a small rip on every cityscape that I sell through this company and this and that to all of a sudden you're like, I can really support myself and live the lifestyle that I want to live both in freedom and in finances by this. Was there some, there was there one big break? Did, did the right person see your picture at the right time? And then all of a sudden that person was famous and then your word got out or, or has it just been organic link by link by link to where now you've got a really strong chain? The, the, yeah, the farther. I mean, it's the, the, the second. I, it was very baby, baby steps, very safe small little steps. That's kind of how I did it. Uh, and I'm still, you know, not that I'm, I, you know, I, I keep my feet on the ground. I think like, you know, things are moving all the time. Uh, 
I'm very grateful that I am in the in the place that I am right now, and I can pick and choose where I want to go and where I want to go photograph next and what um, nonprofit I want to partner with to do something cool to help whatever animal we choose to focus on. Uh, very little baby steps. I I try to put my work in different galleries. A lot of rejections, of course. You get rejection after rejection, and and you get used to that. Uh, until one gallery here in Aspen, John McKeel Gallery, great people. Uh, they took a couple of my, my pieces and they sold a few for, for pretty good money. And that was the other sort of uh, little window of hope that I was talking about uh, before. And then kept working super hard, uh, doing a million things uh, after I started to do small little shows here and there, like a market or this or that, or just I will rent a patio of a restaurant. I, I, will, I will get creative and show my work that way. Whatever I could do, I did. And, and honestly, the feedback of the people was what made it happen. And, and obviously the people and you know, the response that, that I got was uh, key <laughs> to make it work, but uh, they're the ones that were taking the pieces home and slowly and slowly uh i you know i i save enough money so i could open my first little space and it was very small and it didn't look great but people were actually paying attention to the work and you know buying it and then from there i went to a, a little bit of a bigger store and then from which it was very slow and then to this one that is much larger and thinking about opening a couple more so it was very uh, I was very cautious and in uh, very baby steps, very small steps. Yeah. Well, you know, again, you're just credit to you, Glad, because the place that you're at right now is just so beautiful and inviting. And, you know, it fills my soul when I walked in there to see the animals in, in the way that you portray them, starting with horses. That was your first breakthrough animal. Was there something about the horse in particular or the Icelandic horse, which is a different, it's, it's not like the horses we, that we have here in the U.S. And for everybody that does not know the difference between these horse styles, you can explain it. But also, I definitely want to make sure they go to your um, website and see these horses. These animals are incredible. I've had the chance to go there one time and see these, these horses and I was, I fell in love, but you have a way of telling their story in an incredibly fantastic journey, right? With them running and on the beaches and in the waterfalls and on the landscape. What did the horse do for you as that initial animal to just send you like, Hey man, nature and animals is the deal. Yeah. Let me ask you what, what you felt when you, when you, had some time with the Icelandic horses first? Oh yeah, that's a really good question. So we were on um, a tour of the place, uh, of the country, and so we had gone through all these places and we come across these horses and just the to know the, the conditions that they survive in, right? And see their, their fur and their manes and the way that they move, they seemed they seemed in some way majestic to me. There was an independence and a, a majesty to them that, that seemed, but yet they can be together, right? And I love that. I'm all about all of us being together to have who we are individually, be part of who we are as a group or a herd or you know a pack or, or whatever. So to me, it was the look that they had. They're unique to any horse that I, I had seen because you know I'm not 
a huge horse connoisseur, but the watch how they moved and the way and just imagining their lifestyle with that winter coming in and you know it, it just really impressed me. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, I love that you. No one ever, because I ask people all the time. A lot Iceland is a very hot spot right now, uh, but no one ever mentioned that you love watching them all together. Uh, you're a good observant because that's really what it is about the Icelandic horse. So the Icelandic horse, for the people that don't know, has is the purest breed that exists today in the world. They've been isolated for more than a thousand years. The Vikings took them back in the bay, and they're super tough, shorter horses. They're they're stucky. Um, they're very tough, um, they're very novel. So they've been treated extremely well by humans and there's a relationship between humans and horses in Iceland that I never experienced or seen anywhere in the world. To me, seriously, is poetry. <laughs> when I see people, Icelandic, mainly, mostly Icelandic people with their horses, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And, uh, and the Icelandic horse, uh, like you mentioned, they stick together, they stay together. There's a big uh, storm, they all, you know, get together and stay as a pack. It's, it's pretty spectacular. They're very novel and they're very pure and, um, and you feel it and then they, they make you feel special uh, yes. because, because they love be, being around people they, they, because of the way they've been treated. Um, and also they're super tough. Um, it's all in the book, in my book, Horses of Iceland. They're very novel and very tough and very humble horses, I personally think, yeah. Yeah, and they, I'm telling you, your book is fantastic. We bought a copy. We have it. We've shown it Thank to all you. the guests that have come to our home. And, uh, and, and it just, everyone's eyebrows just go up immediately when they look at it. And that was the start for you. How do you end up from the Horses of Iceland into the jungles and the you know on the african plains and and getting these pictures of elephants and lions and these amazing um orangutans and some of the other animals that you've got how, how did that transfer from horse to nature sure again very organically i iceland was uh, the window that opened another door for me because I experienced so much joy being around the the icelandic horses that that made me think, okay, I want to spend more time in nature. Um, Iceland is majestic, and I also want to be, uh, spend more time around animals. So again, another thing that wasn't planned, but I sort of let my, my heart uh, be, you know, be the, the one riding the car. <laughs> yes. That's, a, that's an awful analogy. But, uh, but yeah, so, <laughs> but... Um, I started working on this book, uh, well, a, a, a long time ago, and I continue visiting to Iceland because very quietly when I was doing all these crazy million ad jobs that I had, um, slowly and very quietly I was working on this book and I was going back and forth to Iceland, back and forth. And, and some people will come to me and say like, why are you investing so much going back to the same place that you already seen? And why you don't just go somewhere else? And I was like, you know, I'm working on something here and uh, it, it, it requires for me to revisit and revisit. But uh, at some point when I was working in the book, I, I, I decided to go to Africa for the first time. I went to Namibia, that was my introduction to Africa. I went by myself. I got in Wincock, the capital, and I rented a car and went straight to the national parks by myself, which is something that most people wouldn't think about doing. Uh, but that's just me. <laughs> And, um, and I fell in love, obviously, with Africa. 
and that was that was it. I was hooked, and and that's um, the short version of kind of what happened. And again, organically, I started to visit different countries, and through showing the work that I was creating, I was able to get involved with. Uh, people that care about animals and conservation and animal abuse awareness and different nonprofits and all very organically started to click. Um, so that's kind of what happened. Well, and, and I know, speaking of that, you are deeply, deeply connected to not only nature, but to groups, causes, and organizations that support conservation and the, and the prevention of animal abuse. In fact, I, I wrote something down that I wanted to read. Um, you talk about the driving force that you have is that you believe that art can transform how people think about conservation and nature. So you're using your talent and your skills as a way to communicate a message about how we, as the folks who haven't been laying under a Jeep, taking a picture of a, a walking beast of you know, tons proportion, you get to tell us that story that makes us want to be their advocate. How, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, I do believe that people uh, want to help and, and get involved. I think there's a, there's a big disconnection with the reality, every life, everyday life that people are living and and the planet there's a big disconnection with nature and the world and humans and i'm not going to want to show the worst of the worst the, the you know i don't want people to turn the other way and, and and look the other way because they feel like they can't take it that's not what i want to do i want to like you said show how beautiful the the planet that we live in is and how important it is to make sure that we are aware that we are equals here and we need to respect um, each other and our neighbors and, and everything and, and any living thing that is in it. And I think if we can um, rem be, you know, remember that every day of our lives, including, including the planet, not just the animals, but every, every living thing and everything that's in it, I think will be, uh, will be in the right path. I, I, and that's what I like to talk about. I, I am very aware that sometimes people just want, most of the time people want to just enjoy the work and take it in because uh, it's very appealing and, it's, and, and they're beautiful images. Uh, but I like to also engage with people and make sure that I, at least I, I can get my message across, which is you can also help, we can all help. And more, more than anything, we can uh, educate the younger people to to make sure that they understand um, how connected everything is and how important it is for us to uh, to care. <laughs> yes. To care and, yeah, yeah. That is so yes. beautiful. It reminds me of the, I don't know if you know the name, you probably do, David Attenborough, who's done all of this, the films on animals for decades and decades. I think he's in sure. his 90s now. And, you know, some of the things that, that he's done to bring this same message that you're now bringing through stills that he brought through movies on the aspect of education, this is something that you can certainly educate me on as well as I'm sure a lot of listeners who aren't art aficionados. I noticed that some of the images were on a paper kind of surface. Others were on a metal type of surface. And maybe, I don't know, I think you can also move images to canvas. What is it about that process that someone, if they were looking for a picture for a home or an office, 
do you help them decide, or is it purely the by what I find to be beautiful, whether it would best suit one surface of your picture going on versus another? Kind of a technical question there. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I do present my work in only two different mediums, which are the aluminum pieces, which actually if somebody has a video can see right behind me. And then the archival paper, which is the lion that I have, I can show you later. Uh, the aluminum pieces are more eco-friendly, so it's always going to be better for the environment to, uh, to, to, ha to produce it on aluminum rather than a gigantic plexiglass piece. Obviously, I, I do use plexiglass or glass uh, for the archival paper pieces, but um, the look that a, a paper uh, photograph has is more timeless. It's definitely more elegant. The aluminum is a, is a more modern look that people are really liking right now. And the reason why I continue to uh, produce the work on aluminum is because uh, it, it's actually better for the environment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and people really like it. People really like it. But they're very different mediums. One is going gonna, gonna to look more timeless and elegant, more delicate. The aluminum is definitely more commercial. But those are the two mediums. I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's but. perfect answer. So it's not necessarily a thing of if you have this kind of light, natural or artificial, or if you have this big a space, you would look at one or another. It's it's really kind of your preference. Do you want more of that industrial, cool, chic, or do you want that timeless elegance is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely gravitate towards the archival paper prints um, personally, but um, I like to have both options. Yeah. Very cool. What about digital versus non-digital photographs? What do you where do you stand there? Because I know at the beginning, there was a lot of people that said, hey, I, I don't want to be part of that digital thing. I still want to do this and the old school and you get the thing. And, you know, do, do you have a thought on that? I am very happy how I sort of um, uh, stick with digital. I started developing my own film when I was very young. So I know the whole thing about, you know, developing your film and taking pictures on film. And, and it's great and it's a lot of fun uh, with it in the times that we're living in more so like traveling so much it's, it's very challenging to continue doing film uh it's very doable so if it's not everything is possible you can do it but it's i stick with digital uh, now and but i'm i am challenging myself quite a bit because i'm mainly photographing with not a regular nikon camera camera or canon camera with a full sensor which they're amazing and Anyone that is interested in photography, you don't need to have the best camera in the world to take good photos. Today, with the technology that we have, you can create amazing pictures with any camera, really. A real camera, not a phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, I, I am challenging myself a bit uh, working, uh, photographing wildlife with medium for my camera. So medium for my cameras are meant for studio work, mainly, or landscapes, which is uh, still, you know, image that you have right in front of you uh, that is now moving, uh, only the light, but that's it. Uh, medium format cameras are extremely heavy. They're very um, slow cameras. Uh, you don't have the simultaneous shooting that you're click, 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 and you get 15 shots of the same moment. Uh, very hard to use. And also, they don't make big lens for those cameras. So very short lens. You have to be very close to, to your subject. So that became. Uh, this past few years, my obsession. <laughs> I want to I wanna get, and that's what I'm, a way for me to differentiate myself from other photographers. I want to get as close as I humanly can be 
and um, and use a very short lens. And I try to be very creative making the image on camera. So I tend to, my style is very much, you have seen it. Um, I overexpose my images on camera pants. And when you do that, I don't want to get too technical, but when you do that, you are missing information on the image. So you, it's not like something that you can later recover it because you're photographing uh, with a digital camera. Um, so what's, what's not there, I can, I can make it happen. It's just yes. not there. But I like to do it on camera because I purposely try to uh, take away from the image so I can focus on what I want to focus. But I do it in a, in a way that, I, that is all done on camera. And then an, another thing that I love doing is use filters to vignette the edges of my images to make it basically very dark around whatever I'm focusing on. But I like to also do it on camera. And that's something that I sort of develop photographing animals, finding ways to do it on camera rather than have to rely on, you know, uh, post-processing Photoshop and that type of thing, which is now that I, something that I want to do. Uh, it's a lot of fun and it makes it more, to me, makes it more genuine, um, well, you, more personal. Yes. And, you know, speaking of personal, you do get up close and personal. You shared with me and my family when we were together with you kind of some of the postures that you've put yourself in and how you get some of these amazing shots. Would you be able to share just one or two of the most unique positions that you've put yourself in in order to get one of these remarkable pictures of an animal in motion or an animal doing its thing? My goodness. I mean, definitely going underneath a car, that is something that is not easy. You will think, oh, you know, you're, you're, I'm, I'm not big, I'm not small, I'm medium, but you, you're pretty tiny. You can go, no, 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 it's a big deal. And more so when you're, uh, you had to do it so fast because it's not like you have, you know, 20 minutes to, to figure this out. You have seconds. Uh, last time that I was in Kenya during the pandemic, I was there October, November. Um, I had, a, I think I shared the, the experience with you. I think, um, yes. I had a herd of elephants coming towards me. It was about a hundred of them coming in groups of maybe 20, 25. Um, and usually they're gonna go left. When they see you, they're gonna go left or they're gonna go right. They're never gonna go straight at you because they don't wanna have to deal with you being you know, on their path. Um, so she kept coming, you know, the, the one that was in charge of the tribe, she kept coming towards me and it gave me five seconds to grab my very heavy camera and a couple other cameras to have a wide angle and jump underneath the car from the back of the car, car in, in five seconds it took the most amazing image that was sent from the, from the gods um, from underneath the car that it wasn't easy. But then I had another situation that is crazy, which I was driving the car myself in Namibia in Etosha National Park and I was following um, three giraffes. It was mom and the, three, and the two babies behind. Um, and I found a dead road that I was just lucky enough to figure out a way to get right in front of them. Um, again, getting out of the car, which is, you know, that's a whole different conversation, but, uh, mainly, you know, being able to have access of, or either opening the car door when I have a lion right in front of me and being able to take a picture from extremely close or getting out of the car and, and photographing from underneath. I done some crazy things in Iceland of like climbing, grabbing myself from from whatever I could to take a picture of uh, something interesting and things like that. But I don't know, nothing else right now comes to mind, but uh, it's very physical. 
It it's is very very physical, and yeah. you know it, it's it does show when you take those little thing those little opportunities. It, there's a difference to it, and, and you can see it. And I think that has led to you being in some pretty high end um, publications with your work. I was looking at the website and some of the media things that you were looking at. I mean, I wrote down a couple, but outdoor photography, digital photographer, Aspen, a couple of the Aspen magazines. It seems like your work is has really um, been recognized for making a difference and how you're doing it. Your style is effective. Is Have you seen that kind of traction uh, from your side too? You're very kind. I still think I'm in the very beginnings of, of everything, even though I've been working on this for maybe 15 years, <laughs> if that makes any sense. So you're very kind. Uh, you know, I, I think the main thing is that when people see something that they like and it sticks to them, uh, it, will, it gets attention and hopefully people will continue to like it and, and we'll be able to continue to do amazing work. So, yes. Yeah. Hey, Guad, have you yeah. ever heard of the Animal Sanctuary, the Wildlife Animal Sanctuary out in Kingsburg here, out on eastern part of Denver? I have not. Oh, no. you, you have to look it up. It's called the Wildlife Sanctuary. Okay. And they, it's basically the largest collection of carnivores in the world that have been rescued. So they oh, have wow. bears and wolves and lions and tigers, and they have them on only 700, I think if I'm right, I might be a little off, but about 780 acres. And then there's two other wow. locations, one in Colorado and one outside of the state. I think it's in Texas, but there's no visitors, no public allowed there unless you're in right. special group. But it might be something for, especially with your love of conserving and rescuing. I mean, I could just see a really great synergy there with that wildlife uh, sanctuary. And I can certainly send you their contact information. Yeah, that, that, will, that will be great. I, I'm embarrassed that I haven't heard uh, of it before because we're so close. But yeah, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I will do that. I, I'm sure that you guys could have a, a great synergy. And, you know, as we bring this um, kind of to a close here, I can't believe it's been already like almost 45 minutes together. This seems like we just started. Have you found any um, piece of advice in your life, either someone gave to you or that you learned that is now kind of your operating system that you would want to share with people either chasing their dreams or doing whatever they do? That one thing that maybe is now your, your axiom of, of how to live life well? Uh, from a very young uh, inspiration uh, that I have, a musician, that it, her name is Marqueta Irglova, and she won an Oscar for best song uh, maybe 12 years ago. Amazing person. Uh, it's very simple. Uh, fair play to those who dare to dream and never give up. I know it sounds cliche, but um, if you are willing to trust yourself enough when no one else uh, can <laughs> or is able to uh, and continue your path and, tr and, and believe in yourself, I truly, truly believe that anything that you set your mind to is possible. I, I truly, I, I am a believer in, in that and I, I have experienced that. So it's, I, I don't talk about anything that I haven't lived myself. Um, it is possible. So kudos to those who, you know, dare to dream because uh, that's where it's at, I think. I would yeah. agree. And people have got to, I mean, I hope they've gotten a sense of who you are, such a beautiful soul and spirit. 
How can they find out more about you? How can they see your work? How can they connect with you? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's, my website is guadalupelice.com. They can find me on Instagram, which is where I'm more uh, active uh, on social media, which is Guadalupe Lice. Uh, so pretty simple. If they just go Guadalupe Lice, they can find it very easily. And here and there, we are always, we just had a silent action for Sage Rust Now, which is a nonprofit that we are uh, working with. It was our second silent action. We raised, um, I don't have the exact number right now, but I'm very proud to say that about a little bit less than $20,000 on this wow. event that we did a, a week ago. Um, the people that are running it, is, they're spectacular and, uh, and I'm, I'm very excited about that. So uh, we'll continue working on those things. People can always find it on, maybe on Instagram is the best way to see what we're working on. And, and if they get, want to get involved, that's great. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you have a fan in, in myself and in Ramos Law, and <laughs> please know that we're here to support you. And um, man, may, maybe sometime we'll all end up at the Wildlife Sanctuary together. If you're coming down into town and want to go see it, we'll join you. We'll all go out there and have a good time. How's that sound? That would be great. Yeah, let's do awesome. that. That would be awesome. great. Well, Guad, yeah. thank you for taking the time. I appreciate you. I love what you're doing. Keep it up and don't let ever anyone stop you from this incredible path you're on. Thank you. You're so kind. I super appreciate your time. You're, 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 you're a good soul. Thank you so very much for having me. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your day and continued success. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.